Well, I want us to just take a few moments this evening uh, as we get ready to uh, um, enter into a time of preaching. Um, we're just going to take a few moments and just pray for some spiritual things uh, for our church, um, just for some uh, spiritual maturity um, in our church family, um, pray for uh, strong marriages, um, just some things that uh, are, are just things that uh, I think as a church family we need to be, uh, for one thing, just... Um, just really aware of and uh, really mindful of. And um, so let's just take a few moments to do that. Um, would you bow with me and, and let's just pray together. Jesus, we're so thankful for uh, for you and for the gospel. What a powerful thing it is for us just even to pause for a moment and reflect on our own lives. And as we think back to life before Jesus, um, it's not too hard to see how you've changed our lives. Your love, your grace, your truth. Thank you for thank you for choosing to love us and to pursue us. Jesus, you are not a, a passive force. Uh, you are very active in the world around us. And you're active in the lives of of people all around us. Help us to be aware. Help us to have eyes that see where you're working and um, hearts that long to join you uh, in what you're doing in other people's lives around us. Jesus, we ask that um, you grow us in holiness, um, that our hearts... Our hearts would long for you, Lord, that we would be less and less impressed by the temporary things of the world, and more and more, Jesus, that we would just treasure you above everything else. Lord, I pray that you would, um, Lord, help us to love, help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to not be able to see someone in need and to simply walk by. not making any effort to minister and serve them. Lord, just give us a deep love for each other. Help us to press into each other's lives. Lord, I pray for, um, I pray for the families in our church. 
I pray for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church who will sacrificially give of themselves to serve their wives. I pray for men that that fight for marriages and that are spiritual leaders in their homes. Lord, help us to be those kinds of men. Men that are are not just passive when it comes to spiritual things, but men who dream big dreams and ask you to do big things because we believe you're a big God. Lord, I pray for uh, wives, God, who radically trust Jesus and who in real faith, genuine faith, trust you to take care of them and in ways that 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 are radical and that allow them to uh, humbly humbly submit themselves to their husbands and and humbly love and serve their families and humbly love and serve their communities Lord women who are radically opposed and indifferent than the model of femininity that our, our world sets up. Um, God, strengthen our women. Um, let them be radical, strong women in their faith, hungry for your word and, and just with a, a great vision for your kingdom, God. I pray for uh, children, um, young adults, um, that trust you, Jesus, with their lives and and want to be used by you to do great things for your kingdom. Lord, help us as a church to invest in the youth of our community and to call them and, and invite them to be a part of big things, uh, to dream big dreams uh, for you and for your kingdom, Jesus. Gotta pray for a great unity um, as we uh, uh, minister at, at two different locations every week, and uh, I pray that we would be one church, um, one church that is just committed to to reaching the city of Woodward with the gospel. Uh, Lord, as we uh, as we continue to work through the, the book of Acts, Lord, um, I was just reminded this morning uh, about your spirit um, and the power of, of the spirit of God. Help us to be people that are, are, are just totally surrendered and submitted to the spirit of God. That then in our, our daily life, that we would um, live lives that are empowered by the Holy Spirit as we just humbly... Um, bow ourselves before you, God, and just say, God, we want to be used by you, and uh, we want to trust you. 
Help us to be spirit-filled people uh, for the glory of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your help, even as we pray tonight. We thank you that you are interceding on our behalf. (laughs) You know of our needs uh, far better than we do, and so we uh, humbly offer this prayer to you, trusting that um, you know our needs far better than we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 12 all the way uh, through the end of chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers." In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong, His body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. When they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Well, good evening. One of the things I wanted to do uh, tonight is, uh, this doesn't sound very spiritual, but uh, it's true. I want to get us into chapter 2, because that's where I want to be next week. And uh, so what I'm going to try to do this evening is is to cover everything that Brother Andrew uh, just read uh, there. 
And uh, so in order to do that, I'm going to have to do uh, several different topics. And so uh, this, this is probably going to remind you a little bit more of a Bible study. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see how, how it turns out. Uh, then a sermon just because I'm, I'm not going to stay with one theme, but I'm, I'm kind of going to go uh, into a couple different themes. I, I've tried to kind of tie it together uh, with one theme. And, and I guess if, the, if it could be tied together with one theme, I think what we would call it is what do you do when you wait? Okay, what do you do when you wait? Because this morning, what, what do we leave him off? We left him off waiting, right? Uh, Jesus, you know, he, he ascends into heaven. Right before he ascends, he said, look, I want you guys to wait here. I don't want you to do anything. Don't go anywhere. You need to stay in Jerusalem uh, until, until the Spirit of God falls. And when the Spirit of God falls, you'll be endued with power. And then because of that power, you're going to go off and be my witnesses. And so just wait here. And so that's what they're doing right now. They're, they're waiting. And in chapter 2, the Spirit falls and, and, and the rest of the book of Acts uh, plunges forward as, as they, they go out to do the mission of God. But for now, they're waiting. And in this kind of time of waiting, we, we see a couple different things. By the way, what do you do when you wait? I, I thought about that. I think that's an interesting question. What do you do when you have to wait? Uh, we do a lot of waiting. You wait in line, right? You, we, you wait in the doctor's office. You wait, you know, at the DMV. You're, you're in a waiting room. What, what, and what's in a waiting room? Junk. Worthless junk. Have you ever noticed that? That's what's in a waiting room. There's a bunch of magazines that really don't do you any good to read. Uh, there's usually kind of some kind of TV program. Man, I, I, this is what I hate. I, there, Addie go, uh, see, Addie's an orthodontist or maybe it was the surgeon. I don't know. We had to go to this dentist office in uh, Oklahoma City a couple times. And they have a TV, you know. Now, now I can handle news, you know. That's kind of cool. You, know, you get a little catch up on the world event stuff. But this was like all kinds of gruesome dental procedures, just scrolling. Have you ever, you ever, have you ever been in an office like that? I mean, and they would show these people had, you know, all this terrible stuff with their teeth. And then they would show what they could do to the teeth. And, but it was just all these different pictures of dental procedures. I'm like, this is what I want to do for a half an hour is watch this, you know. But and, you know, I, mean, I mean, a lot of times my point is when, when we wait, we're not doing anything, you know. I mean, a lot of times when we think of waiting, we think of, well, you know, it's idle time. You know, it's just wasted time. I wish I could be doing this. I want to be doing this. And, you know, I mean, that's what we think of when, when we think of waiting. That's really not the biblical picture of waiting. You know, the Bible tells us to wait a lot. You know, Isaiah tells us those who wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be faint. I mean, there, there's lots of verses in the Bible that tell us, look, you need to wait on the Lord. And what, what the Bible means by wait, okay, what Jesus means by wait is not don't do anything or just kind of idle time. What it means is, look, don't run ahead of the Lord. Okay? You're not being idle, but you're not running ahead of the Lord. You're not getting ahead of God's power. You're not going out on your own, really, is what that means. You're, you're waiting. You're, you're, you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to look at you. My eyes are upon you. And when you move, I'm going to move. Okay? And when you do something, I'm going to get in with it on, on it with you. But that's really what it means to wait. And so they're not doing nothing. In fact, they're, they're doing lots of stuff here. Uh, the first thing that we see that they're doing is they're gathering together. Okay? Now, I think that's significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, if there's ever a dangerous time for the church to gather together, it's now. Okay, what happened to Jesus? What just happened to Jesus? They arrested him and they nailed him to the cross and they killed him. Okay, so logic would say, hey, we probably don't want to advertise that we're followers of Jesus. Uh, but, but, but instead of being scared, instead of, you know, scattering, and they, they come back together. Okay, after the ascension, after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends into heaven, they're back on track and they're gathering back together. In fact, you're going to see this over and over again in the book of Acts, that the, the people of God are a gathered people. If you go to chapter 2, verse 1, as they're waiting for the Spirit to fall at Pentecost, it says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. These 
these guys are always together, okay? And, and that's a biblical principle. Hebrews 10, 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The church is always, the characteristic of the church, they are getting together, okay? Christ-centered relationships pressed together into relationships, into worship, into service, into encouragement, always pressed together. And I think one of the reasons for that is not simply because we have to. Uh, you know, the view that many people have of church, maybe you ever had this view, is that you're, you're here because it's the right thing to do or you have to be there. Man, I mean, that's real. That is real for a lot of people is that this, this place right here is the place that you have to go to, you know, and, and you feel guilty if you don't. So you got to go put your time in, you know, uh, go ahead and put the VCR tape in and record. I think we're the only ones that use VCR tapes, by the way, anymore. Uh, we've tried to borrow uh, some, some moot from some of you and you guys all have these fancy DVR things and you know what that means you know what that stands for that stands for you don't you don't have to lend it out to anybody you know because that's what everybody tells well we'd lend it to you pastor but we dvr'd it you know it's right you have to come over and watch it but we don't invite you anyway but how did i get there um i don't know they're committed to being together not because they have to uh it's not it's not a chore uh i really think they they want to be together uh, they need to be together, uh, and, and they're drawn together. And, and here's, I think, the reason why. Look in verse 14. It says, And all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, and then, then it goes on. But notice that one accord. Uh, some of your Bibles say something like, uh, with one mind. Uh, you, you know why I think Christians are, are drawn together of their own free will? Not because we have to, not because, just because it's the right thing to do. But, but I believe that we are drawn together because we share the same convictions. We're on the same page in life. Uh, that's the right reason to come together as a church. You ever, you ever notice, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big people watcher. I, I love to see what happens. I think, I think I, I, I'm looking for things that a lot of other people aren't looking for. But I love to see in any group of people, I like to see the dynamic of it. You ever, you ever watch that? Uh, just the meeting of people like, you know, like you have a small group. And I love to see kind of the dynamic of what each person, kind of their role in that small group is. And, and when, when, when certain people speak, what the response of everybody else is. And, and when, when certain people aren't there, you know, how that changes the group. I mean, I just, I just like all of that stuff. And, but one of the things I've, I've noticed is that people are naturally drawn together because of this, this commonality. Okay? In other words, you'll have people that are just on the same page about life. They just think about life in the same way. They're kind of interested in the same thing. Those people always find each other. You ever notice that? They always find each other. They're always drawn together. You know, you'll have, you'll have these guys that like, they love OSU football, you know, and you, you'll see, well, they'll come in the church, one will sit over there, one will sit over there, and then there'll be a greeting time. But sometime in there, they find each other, you know, because they're in there, you know, it's like the same page. We, we like football. We, we like the game. Let's talk about the game. I want to, I want to talk with somebody who loves the same thing that I love. On a big principle, I think, I think that, that phrase there, all these with one accord, all these because of the same mindedness of, the, of one another, that's why they're together. That's why they're pressed together. Not because they have to. Jesus didn't make a rule. They're, they're, you know, you're not really going to find a rule. I mean, you're going to find the Sabbath principles about the Sabbath day. You're going to find the verse I just told you in Hebrews 10 about don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. There are some, some exhortations there. But there isn't any steadfast rule that, okay, you guys got to get together three times a week or four times a week or five times a week. But you find the early church always together. And I think you find them always together because they, they, they're this commonality, this one accord. We love the same thing. We love Jesus. We desire the same things. We desire holiness and fellowship. 
fellowship with Christ and victory over sin, to know Christ in ever-increasing measure. We have the same mission, okay, to proclaim the glorious deeds of the Lord. We read the same book. We have the same Holy Spirit. We fight similar battles. We wrestle with similar struggles. We are on the same page, and so that drives us together. You know, you'll find you have something in common with a believer you don't know, you, you've never met before, but you get, get sit in the plane, you know, and you sit down and they pull out your Bible and you got your Bible out and all of a sudden you got all kinds of things to talk about the rest of the trip, you know? Why? Because you're on the same page. You're, you're like, look, we understand each other. Even though we don't know each other, you're fighting the same things I'm fighting and you're striving for the same things I'm striving. You love the same verses that I love and, and you, you have a church family just like I have a church family and you're doing missions just like we're doing missions and, and you're, you're listening to sermons just like I'm listening to sermons. I mean, we have the same page. And so that drives believers together. It makes sense that, that we would come together. In fact, I, I think that's why there's something wrong when believers are not faithful to get together. I think when you see that in people's lives, that they begin to pull away from the church, that is a sure, sure sign that something serious is wrong. Not just that they haven't obeyed the rules of coming, no, but, but, but that, that they don't want to. That, that maybe they're not on the same page anymore. Maybe they're not loving the same things anymore. Maybe, maybe their love has grown cold for the things of God. And, and so one of the signs of that is they, they don't meet together. So what are they doing when they meet together? Well, first, or what are they doing while they wait? First of all, they're meeting together. What do they do when they meet together? Well, they pray. Notice that in verse 14. It says, all those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They were devoting themselves to pray. Man, church, I tell you, one of the things we're committed to this year uh, Lincoln Avenue is really strengthening our prayer ministry. You notice many things we've done. Uh, twice a month, we have 12 hours of prayer uh, rotating at the different campuses. About once a quarter, we're going to devote an entire evening service to prayer. We've done that already uh, once this year. Uh, we're really trying to strengthen our muscles in prayer. And, and I say strengthen our muscles in prayer because that's really the way that I think of it. Um, it does take muscles, spiritual muscles, to be to be faithful, to be frequent in prayer. And one of the things you see in the book of Acts is these guys are always praying. And when they pray, really cool things happen, you know? Uh, I think of that one passage we're going to hit here in a few weeks where, where the building shakes, you know? I mean, it's just like God's, God's thrilled, you know, with the thing. He's just going to shake it up a little bit just to let you know that, yes, you know? Uh, I, I mean, we see the, them, them praying constantly. And what I see in the church today is that I don't know why, maybe because of our distractions, maybe because of our affluence or our wealth. One of the things that we struggle to do probably well, this is just honest, not just us, but churches in general, we struggle to pray well. It's one of the reasons I asked Brother Andrew to come up and do what he did just, just now, just before the service. I, all I did was I said, hey, you know, I want you to go up after the music and I just want you to lead our church to pray for spiritual things. Just whatever you want to pray, just pray for spiritual things. And, and, and I, like to, I like to pick Brother Andrew because Brother Andrew is one of the people, and this is one of the things I really love about him. He, I don't think he struggles to pray. Now, may, may, I, I just don't, from what I know about him, he is really comfortable in prayer. Uh, you know, a lot of people feel the necessity to how long am I praying, you know, and do I need to get forward, and am I saying the right thing? I don't think Andrew, I don't think he struggles with that at all. Uh, one of the things I love at children's camp is to, to see him quiet a room of kids. You know, you have a hunt, you know, 30, whatever, fourth graders or fifth grade boys in a cabin. And I mean, if you let them loose, I mean, they will literally, they will literally buzz with energy for three hours. You know, it's already 11 o'clock. We want to go to bed. I mean, they just have this capacity. But I tell you what. They, they do not have any spiritual muscle, and so they cannot handle it when Andrew, Andrew prays, you know? And, and so he'll just walk those aisles up and back, and he'll just pray. And they know they have to be quiet because they have enough sense to know we've got we to respect the Lord, you know? 
but they can't handle it. They can't wait. I mean, he prays, and by the time he's kind of went through, you know, praying for them and praying for their their their, their future and their faith, and I mean, they're out. They're like, oh, you know, they can't they can't handle it. They're just they're asleep. You know, they they don't they lack the spiritual muscle to hang in there. You know, and, and I wonder, and I mean, I don't want to make too much of this, but I wonder when he was praying, what were you doing? Now, I hope hope you were praying, because that's what we're to do. We're to come together. We're to have time to pray. I mean, that's what they did. What are they doing? They're waiting, but but they're coming together with one accord, and they're devoting themselves. The the, the, the verb there is like a continual devotion to prayer. And and see, they were comfortable doing that. They were comfortable with someone just getting up and just leading in prayer. Maybe they're having little pockets of private prayer, and they're coming back together and having some corporate prayer. And so hopefully, when, when he was praying... Hopefully you were praying with him, you know, as he, he said, you know, Christian, you know, uh, make us good husbands. Hopefully you were praying for different men in the church or I'm a husband. I was praying, God, help me to love Emma. Help me to sacrifice for her. Help me to the Lord to serve her. Help me, give me, give me grace with her, God. Give me grace to give to her. I mean, that's what I'm praying. And then when, 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 when he prayed for wives, hopefully you were praying for wives. And you know what else I was doing? I was thinking of marriages in our church that are in trouble. Were, were you doing that? Were you, were you praying for those? You know, and, and just saying, God, please move in this situation. Then when he prayed for students, man, were you going through and thinking of students in your mind? And, and just we're, we're, basically, do you see that as a valuable time? You see, there was a time in my life where if someone got up and prayed for a little while, extended prayer, prayer publicly, all I could think of was, ah, oh, when's it going to be? Come on, come on, man, come on. How long are we going to do this? Does he know how long that is? You know, I mean. There was a time, anybody else? No, none of you were sinners like that, were you? You know, I mean, I was just weak. It wasn't that I was sinful or so much sin. I just was weak, you know. I just had a hard time concentrating. I needed something going on, something to, you know, entertain. I needed to look at something. I mean, just, just to be quiet and to come before the Lord, that, that wasn't so valuable in my life. But, but I'm changing on that. I'm seeing that, man, you know what? Maybe that time where we all with one voice were saying, God, please raise up godly husbands. God, please raise up godly wives. God, please save some marriages here at LABC. God, please raise up some. You know what? That may be a whole lot more valuable than what I'm doing now. Could be, huh? It could be that that was really the thing that we came to do tonight. Because what did we learn this morning? The spirit of God moves, man. It's unstoppable. It's going to happen, isn't it? So they came together and they prayed. Now, this might be a good time for us tonight just to assess, assess your prayer life. What's your prayer life like personally? What's it like with your spouse? If you're married, what's it like with your family? What's it like with your small group? What's it like with your friends? Do you pray with your friends? You know, if you got Christian friends, do you pray with them? You know, shouldn't we try to cultivate? Shouldn't we try to build some muscle there? You know, and... And, and take that step of saying, all right, you guys, you came over and, and we ate together and we played pitch for a while. And hey, let's, let's pray together. Right before you leave here, let's pray together. What can we pray for you guys? Man, we love you. You're, you're our friends. What can we pray for you about? Isn't that, isn't that cool to develop that kind of muscle in our church? Sometimes it's a little awkward. I know it is. But what I've found is things that you practice a lot get less awkward, don't they? Pretty soon they, they're they're just they're second nature. I think I I, I got to be careful here, but I, I think one of the things maybe that hinders us sometimes we spend so much time on requests that we we spend up our time to pray. <laughs> I think that's another thing we got to be careful of. You know, now I'm all for if you have a need, we need to pray about that. That that's that's good. But you know, sometimes we need to pray about stuff we already know we need to pray about. You know, just pray about that. 
Hey, I tell you what, you, you pray for marriages and husbands and wives and parents and, and holiness and, and fighting against and You pray for that every day. We don't, we don't need to have someone request prayer for that. We, we know we need to pray for that every day, right now. You know, and sometimes we need to pray for stuff we need to pray for, and then we need to ask for some requests. What, what do we have particularly that we need to pray about? And let's pray about that too. So they gather together, devote themselves to prayer. And then this next part, it, it, does this seem like it's strange in here, the, 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 what, we, what we see next, this, this talk of Judas and replacing Judas and talking about his death? Um, I tried to fit that in. What, what are they doing? Well, I think what they're doing is they're taking care of serious business in the church, okay? They're taking care of the business of what does it mean to be the people of God? There's something we got to take care of, guys. I mean, that's, that's what they're doing while they're waiting. They're, they're praying, they're gathering together, and then they're like, okay, we, we got business here to take care of. And, and I want to say it's serious business. I want to call it serious business because I, th- I think what, what you can see at the end of this chapter is being in the church is, is not child's play. You know, th- this is not a club. It's, it's, not, it's not recreation of sorts. I, I mean, what we see in this passage here, the rest of this passage talking about Judas, is, is the business of the church is the business of heaven or hell. It's, it's the business of eternal pleasures or eternal torment. It's the business of joy inexpressible or demonic despair so deep that a man plunges willingly into everlasting horror. That's the business of the church. And you find that in the book of Acts. You know, you'll have these, these great passages of Jesus coming in and speaking and, and him ascending into heaven. And then you got this horrific passage of, of this guy plunging into a valley and his gut spilling out as he, as he goes into hell. You know, I mean, the reality of that. And then, and then in chapter 2, you got the Spirit of God falling, and you got healings in chapter 3, and, and you, got, you got victory over persecution in chapter 4. And then you got in chapter 5, God striking down dead two people in a church service because they're fakes and frauds. I mean, do you see that in the book of Acts? I mean, you, you have throughout the book of Acts, you got this, this soberness of, look, this is a big deal. It's a big deal to be in the church. It's a big deal what, what, what's happening here. This is the mission of Jesus going forward. And it, it's not to be trifled with. There's no room to be fake in the mission of God. There's no room to, to pretend the stakes are too high to, to bluff your way through this thing. You can't have this ulterior motive. Judas had an ulterior motive. He, his agenda was not the kingdom of God. It was not the mission of God. It wasn't what we talked about this morning. His agenda was not the glory of Jesus. It wasn't the transformation of sinners. It was his own personal advancement. It was his own getting money, getting power, getting personal glory. That's what he thought of when he, when he began to follow Jesus. There's just no room for that in the church of God. We see that in Acts 1 and we see it in Acts chapter 5. And I, I, think, I think by including this, I think there's, there's this soberness that comes about. This is, this, this, is, this is serious stuff. I also think by including this story of how Judas is, is replaced by Matthias, Luke's making sure that we understand that, that Judas' betrayal was not a failure on God's part. You know, Jesus picks 12 disciples. And, and I think one of the things that, that Acts chapter 1 does is say, okay, don't, don't think that, oh man, Jesus is, he's 11 for 12 already, you know. It's only, only been three years. He already lost one, you know. Uh, no, not, not at all. In fact, Peter, Peter goes out of his way to say, look in verse 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. I mean, Peter wants to make sure everybody realizes that, look, this, this thing was prophesied back in Psalm 69, 25, back in, in Psalm 109, 80. He reads portions of those. Let me read you a little bit of Psalm 109. 
They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him go forth guilty and let his prayer be counted as sin. And then verse 8 is, is the one that Peter quotes as referring specifically to Judas. May his days be few and may another take his office. And so Peter looks back way in the Old Testament and says, look... Man, through the Spirit of God, this has been revealed that, that, that God knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew this was going to happen. In fact, when the Gospel of John is written, uh, John goes back and, and remembers the words of Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 64, he says, But there are some of you, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for one of the twelve was going to betray him. Way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he knew already, you know. Now, the disciples didn't, didn't, didn't know it at that time. Jesus didn't point out which one. Jesus said a lot of things they didn't understand. But as this comes to pass, as the resurrection comes, all of a sudden in the disciples' minds, they're remembering all this. Yes, he said it. Remember remember back right after the feeding of the 5,000, when he's talking about the loaves and the bread, and when all those people walked away because Jesus said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood to be my disciple, and then... That's the context of that passage. They're remembering. Hey, remember Jesus said, did I not choose 12? Yet one of you is a devil. And he's talking about Judas. So from the very beginning, Jesus knew that Judas was not the real thing. So his treachery was not a surprise of God. In fact, it was used of God. Man, one of the great things you're going to see in the scripture is that Jesus uses, God uses even the evil things for his own purposes. Man, that's, that's an incredible... You know, we saw that back in, uh, in Genesis when, when Joseph's brothers do all that, um, all that wicked things to Joseph. Remember what Joseph said? He said, man, you meant it for evil, but you, look what God did. God turned it around. He turned you selling me into slavery into Egypt to bring me into a position of power of Egypt so that I would save all of Israel. You know, God took your evil and he used it for his own purposes. In the same way, he does that here. Acts chapter 2, verse... Um, what is it? 23... Yeah, 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You hear what Peter says there? This Jesus delivered up by the definite plan of God. Did, did Judas' betrayal surprise God, catch him off guard? Absolutely not. In, in fact, God used it. God weaved it right into his plan of, of bringing about Jesus as the Lamb of God. As the substitution for our sins. And one of the things when I think of Judas' life, I think of a, a passage in Hebrews. Um, Hebrews chapter 6 is one of the, the, the passages I get hit with a lot. If you read through your Bible and you're reading Hebrews 6, you're going you're gonna to be like, whoa, what does that mean? Because it's one of the toughest chapters in the Bible. But, but listen to it. I'm just going to read a portion of it here. Um, verse 4 is where I'm going to start. Hebrews 6. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift 
and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they then fall away since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. Okay, now see, it sounds like, okay, it's like, what's going on here? Is that people who, who become believers, but then they kind of fall away and so they lose their salvation? I don't think that that's what it's talking about, okay? There's several key words there that, that, that the writer of Hebrews uses. He says, who, who, who have once been enlightened. He said, who have tasted, tasted, okay? Tasted is a word in the New Testament that means kind of dabble at, you know? You, you, ever, you ever not sure about something? You know, someone serves you something? My kids do this a lot. You know, and we tell them it's real good, and they take like, this minuscule bite, and they're like, okay, I tasted it. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're not in. You're not all in on the deal. You know, you're, you're just, just dabbling, okay? And, and, and I really believe what's being described here is a guy like Judas, a, a guy who is surrounded, literally surrounded by the grace of God, a guy who's, who's counted as, as one of the people of God, a guy who's immersed in, in the works, the, the power, the glory of God. I think there are people like that in the church who, who for years are just saturated and surrounded with, with the grace and the goodness and the blessing of God and the Holy Spirit. And they're tasters, you know. They, they've not dived in. They're not completely yielded. They're not surrendered to God. You know, they look like it on the outside. They want to fit in, but, but, but they're, not, they're not really in. They're, 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 their heart is not really yielded. But, but, but they've so saturated themselves with the things and the people of God... At that point, once they've experienced all the goodness of God and all the grace of God and all the word of God, and then they turn and walk away, I think the writer of Hebrews says, man, it's done for them. It's over for them. I think that's the case with Judas. I mean, can you imagine three years of seeing miracle after miracle, Jesus walking on the water, feeding 5,000, raising Lazarus out of the grave. Can you imagine seeing all that and yet saying... I'll take 30 pieces of silver over Jesus. I, what, does that, what does that say about a guy? I, I think you've hardened your heart to the point that there is no room for repentance. I think that's the picture of Hebrews chapter 6. What a horrible example of wasted opportunity. So Judas' motives were, were not to get more of Jesus. Um, John tells us that uh, he, he was pilfering out of the money box <laughs> the whole time. Uh, it kind of makes sense, things that he said during Jesus' ministry. Remember, remember that story where he gets mad that the woman broke the perfume and, and put it on, uh, anointed Jesus with it? You know, he says, man, this could have this been used for, could have been sold and the money used for the poor, <laughs> you know. Translation could have been put in the money box and I could have got some of it, you know. Uh, I mean, all of a sudden you begin to see these things about Judas. Um, he wasn't in it for Christ. He wasn't in it for the kingdom. He was in it for his own personal glory. He saw the ministry of Jesus as a way to get ahead personally. And so when it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to be the Israelite general that he thought he was going to be, when it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to overthrow Rome and take over this physical kingdom and everybody that was with him would be rich and powerful, when it, be, when it became clear that that wasn't Jesus' ministry, Judas settles for 30 pieces of silver over his connection to Christ. <laughs> But like is so true, sin never satisfies. It doesn't fulfill. Temptation and the devil never deliver what they promise. And, and man, here's the, here's the irony. Judas never spends a coin, does he? Remember what happens? He, he's so disillusioned with his life, probably so guilt-ridden, 
so frustrated, so angry at himself, so empty on the inside. He goes back and he throws the money to the, to the religious leaders. <laughs> and then there's this irony. This is a sidetrack, but they won't spend it for themselves. Why? Because they don't want to get their hands dirty. Okay? They're crucifying the Son of God, but they're not going to they're not going to spend the blood money. Uh, so they buy a, a field to make a cemetery to bury people like Judas in. But he never spends a dime of it. Um, you know, a lot of people have wondered if if he if, if Judas was saved in the end, and, and how they come to that conclusion is that obviously he was sad over what he did. You know, he, he gave back the money. But but listen, the Bible is really clear that. That sorrow and regret are not always repentance. In fact, 2 Corinthians 7 is real clear about that. It says, uh, let's begin reading in verse 9. Paul says, as, as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Paul, Paul says, I rejoice over the kind of sorrow, the kind of grief, the kind of brokenheartedness that leads a person to repent. It says, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas, listen, worldly grief produces death. You see, there's, there's a kind of sorrow. There's a kind of despair. There's a kind of kicking yourself that, that doesn't turn to Jesus. It just turns to despair. That's not salvation. And basically what Judas did was he didn't turn to Christ. He didn't love Christ. He didn't repent and, and, and yield himself to Christ. All he did was fall into this deep despair over how cruddy his life had become. And he ends up killing himself. It's interesting that Judas and Peter were both broken hearted at the same time. Isn't that, isn't that something? They both blew it. Okay, P- Peter blew it by, by denying Jesus out of fear in Luke chapter 22. After the cock crows for the the third time, in verse 62, it says, He went out and wept bitterly. So so both these guys are are filled with despair at the same time. But you see, Peter's was a repentance turning him to Christ. Judas was a despair that turned him away from Christ. And ultimately, he committed suicide. The Gospels are very clear that he hung himself. A lot of people struggle over why, why the book of Acts here says, doesn't mention him hanging himself, but what it says is, um, verse, uh, where is it, 18? Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. Um, all the commentators are really pretty clear about what, what they believe, why, why there's a, a difference here. But all of them say basically it's the same, it's the same act. Um, what he probably did was found him a high place. In order to hang yourself, you need a high place. You know, probably a branch of a tree, obviously, in a canyon somewhere. And probably put his rope on the tree, hung himself. Um, probably the branch broke or the rope broke at some point. Um, he fell onto the rocks. Have you ever seen Jerusalem? Rocks everywhere. Uh, and, and when he fell to the rocks, he burst open and that's the way they found him. Um, one, I, I don't know why this is significant to me that I've remembered this, but I remember reading a commentary talking about a, uh, a cathedral. I don't know where it is, but... Uh, many of the old cathedrals had murals, you know, stained glass murals or murals on the wall. And, and in their picture of depiction of Judas, they have uh, the demons pulling on his legs from, from the branch. And I don't know why, but that's just a real graphic picture to me of, of where, where he went from hanging himself 
into stepping into eternity. Um, you know, I want you to be careful here. I, I'm kind of covering just things again, just kind of Bible study in here. But a, a lot of people have 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 associated him committing suicide with that's the reason that he was lost. We just have to be really careful with that. Um, I, I certainly believe it is not a good sign of your faith when you leave this world murdering yourself. Okay, that's that. No, nobody, nobody should. That should be a very grave thing in your mind to be the last act of of your life here. But at the same time, we got to get our theology straight. A person is not saved by whether the last thing they do is sin or not. Okay. Uh, if that's the case, then we've, we've got to doubt everybody, you know, because when you're in the car crash, well, you know, were you thinking bad thoughts about me before you hit the semi? Because if you were, you're in trouble. You know, I mean, how, how far do we take that? We're not saved based on whether we've confessed every sin or whether we're the last thing we do is sin. We're, we're saved based on whether we're united to Jesus Christ in a faith relationship. And, I personally leave room that somebody could be united to Christ in a faith relationship and because of mental illness or because of deep despair or something, make a rash decision that ends their life. I mean, I, I think that's possible. Some people may disagree with me, but I, I just come back to the gospel is, are you joined to Jesus? That, you know, whether you're saved or not is, is not based on the last thing you do. It's based on, have, have you been united to Christ in faith? Is, does his blood cover your sins? Obviously, from with the scriptures, Judas was not. He was not a believer. He was not one of Christ's followers. I mean, Jesus himself said that. So that's how we know he went to hell. Not, not because cause he committed suicide. Again, it, it's not a good sign. I mean... It's not a good sign to, to go out of this world sinning. That, that's not a good sign. You don't want that. I don't want that. I want, I want to go out of this world following Jesus. That's what I, I want to be doing something for Christ is the last thing I do before I, I enter eternity. But, but that's not the basis of our salvation, the last thing that you do. So Judas, Judas kills himself. And, and Peter, as he gathers the church together, he says, okay. We need to replace this guy. And we need to replace him because Jesus made all these prophecies about when, when the new heavens and the new earth comes, there's going to be 12 thrones for the 12 apostles who will rule. And so they, they choose Matthias. Um, some people have quibbled over the way they chose him by, by coming together and praying and putting forth two people, praying over them, and then casting lots, kind of like a dice type of thing, a, a flip of the coin or something like that. I don't know. I mean, it happened a lot in the Bible. I think the important thing was that they prayed. The cool thing to me is that they trusted God's decision there, you know? You know what might have happened today in, in many churches, you know? The other guy, what was his name? Um, uh, Joseph. You know, he might have threw a big fit and the church split, split, you know, over because he didn't get the position, you know? And you don't see any of that. I mean, they just, Lord, which one do you want? Okay, you know? And Matthias is numbered among the 12. You know, I... One, one last thing, and then I'm, I'm finished. Um, I, I, think, I think one of the cool things about the way this, this chapter ends is that the failures of men can never stop the Spirit of God moving in the church. You guys know, man, churches go through struggles, don't they? Men blow it. Amen? One of Jesus' disciples blew it big. Did that stop the church? It did not. You've turned on your TV before and saw some preacher of some great ministry. The one that comes to my mind is the guy in Colorado, ministry that was a really good ministry, who just absolutely blew it. And the world laughs and people write. 
Does that stop the church? It will not stop the church. Why? Because the acts are the acts of the Holy Spirit moving unstoppably through the world. And my friends, Jesus Christ will accomplish his purpose with or without us. I pray with us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for, uh, Father, for being unstoppable. God, I love that about you, that you are unstoppable. And Lord, I pray that we'd be about your mission. I pray, Father, that we'd be faithful to gather. God, put it in our hearts, Lord, that to be the kind of people that we want to be with the people of God. We want to gather together as couples and as families and as small groups and as Sunday school classes and as, as campuses and churches. Father, Father, draw us together as your people. And Lord, as we draw together, I pray that we'd be people of prayer. I pray that we'd be people that are comfortable calling out to you for what we need. And God, I just pray that you'd protect us, Father, from, from pretending, from faking it, from, from falling into sin. And Father, we rejoice that, uh, that there is no sin of man that can stop uh, the, the church moving through history. And Father, we thank you that we know how this is going to end. And Lord, we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.